Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets presented by Darwin Asset Management and Darwin Wealth Management, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts in 20 minutes or less. I'm Remy, and as always, I have Mike and Tina with me today. So we've talked about crypto quite a bit on the show, especially in some of the earlier episodes, but it's always felt like it's sort of a fringe asset something that's out there, but maybe not considered a legitimate investment. But in a recent report published by Bitwise Asset Management, 81% of advisors stated that they have clients looking for crypto solutions, while less than 10% actually offered one. So I have a feeling that's about to change, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com or hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. And if you like our show, Please don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So I don't think we need to define what crypto is since we've talked quite a bit about it on the show already. And for those of you who might need a refresher, you can check out episodes 28 and 29 entitled Tokenizing Stocks, part one and two. Part one is a pretty lengthy crypto primer. Instead, let's start out by asking the question, why would an investor want to own crypto? Tino? I'd say there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first, you know, if you think about what's going on in the investment landscape today relative to maybe even two or even five years ago, uh, the days of uh, that 60-40 playbook, stocks and bonds, and maybe even some cash, uh, simplistic solutions for simpler times, I think that's gone. You know, when, when you look at what's going on in markets today, you know, you've got, uh, it's, it's a lot harder to generate alpha in some of these traditional asset classes. And with uh, inflation and interest rates and all these other challenges and hurdles facing investors, I think the playbook now is, is looking at some of these fringe asset classes, some of these non-traditional asset classes that can provide opportunities for investors. You know, when you think about crypto, that's one where, you know, five or six years ago, it was uh, a novelty. It was something that technologists love to play around with, but it really wasn't gaining much support. Today, you think about the brain power that is behind this movement. You think about the money that has been invested, the venture capital uh, that's been deployed in this area. We have companies that are public today, like Coinbase. This thing has enough momentum behind it now to, in my opinion, really take off. So I think that from that perspective, it's an interesting opportunity. You just got to be careful because obviously there's a lot of hair on this one. So Mike, you're meeting with seemingly hundreds of clients a a month. Feels that way. Yeah. Do you get the question? I get it all the time. And uh, as I was thinking about this topic, I found myself thinking about the fact that this topic for people more than I would think is, is sort of a polarizing topic. People come down on one side or the other, and their thinking is almost dogmatic. People either love crypto or they hate crypto. It's difficult to have a conversation about it because, you know, it's almost like, you know, if you, if you guys remember when, when Apple computers were not quite so, you know, ubiquitous and, you know, there were, there were people that, that had apples and no, no matter what, Apple was the best. No matter if it said Apple on it, it was the best thing in the world. It was like Apple zealots, right? And you couldn't even talk to them. That's kind of how I feel people are with crypto right now. Uh, people are either like really, really in, and this is like the greatest thing they've ever seen, or it's the stupidest thing ever, and why would anyone ever put their money in it? I, I mean, I guess people are sort of like that with gold a little bit. Um, people love gold or, or don't. Um, but crypto seems to be, and maybe it's just a sign of our times that we're like that with everything now. Um, but but crypto is really a, a become a polarizing topic. It's weird because you want to talk about it in a meeting, 
but you almost feel like you're talking about uh, a, a religion or politics or something. Well, it's funny you call, uh, you reference gold there, Mike, because I think it was Stephen Colbert who called crypto gold for nerds. So maybe yeah. there is a, maybe there's a, a, a point there. Well, I find myself saying that a lot, that it's, it's the new, you know, this, the younger generation's version of gold. It really kind of is in, in many respects. I don't think there's any question. I mean, we've talked about gold before and, you know, you think about, about, think about the baby boomers that, that have a religious view towards gold. And a lot of that is because they grew up and gold was a bigger part of their life relative to somebody that's, you know, let's say a millennial today who you know, sees gold on necklaces and that's about it. Perception is everything when it comes to an asset class like this, because the reason why gold or crypto for that matter has value is because people perceive it as having value. It's no different than, you know, we talked about Pokemon cards or, you know, uh, sneakers that, that sell for crazy amounts of money in auctions these days. So that religious component to crypto, uh, I think is absolutely driving the demand for it. But I mean, look, look at some, some of the returns that we saw last year in these crypto coins I and mean, Bitcoin's the largest coin out there, right? By far. And it was up called 100% in 2021. Of the top 10 coins out there today, it was, had by far the worst return, 100% gain, right? So this is, this is absolutely catching the eye of uh, a lot of people. And, and I know it's one of the reasons probably, Mike, why you're stuck in these conversations all the time. Other than, you know, maybe Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of the, you know, the, the ones that everybody's heard of, all these weird, you know, Shiba Inu and you know, poodle coin or whatever they come up with now. The ones that, that have these crazy, right? The ones that have these these crazy swings. I feel like ninety five percent of those are are just going to be, you know, a, a punchline five years. So they're going to be gone. I think. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I think the the most challenging part about crypto is that it's sort of this one term for an asset class, but yet each crypto. In, in some cases have wildly different uses. You know, it's not like you're comparing um, the U.S. dollar to the British pound to uh, the, the euro, right? I mean, yeah, they're all different, but they're all used for the same purpose. When you're comparing something like Bitcoin to something like Ethereum, which is more of a smart contract platform, I mean, these things aren't used for the same things. Because they all use blockchain, they all get lumped together as a single entity, but they're dramatically different. But things like Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, and I think there was some other one, Tino, that we talked about, another sort of dog-named coin. I forget what it was. Um, do those things have any use? I mean, it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is things like Ethereum do have some utility, and they're, they're created for something. They do have some use. But what about these goofy things that people make up as a joke? Nah, well, they are jokes. I mean... Dogecoin is a parody. I think two developers a couple of years ago created Dogecoin to make fun of Bitcoin holders. So Dogecoin is a joke coin. And last year, uh, it was a, I think in March or April of last year, they created Shiba Inu, which is a parody coin of Dogecoin. A parody of a joke. I love it. Yeah, right? And I mean, when Shiba Inu was, was released, they, they actually released a woof paper explaining what the coin is. <laughs> there wasn't even like a white paper to call it a woof paper. And this thing was up like 57 million percent last year. So go back to the top 10 coins. You, of the top 10 coins in 2021, you've got one that's under SEC investigation. You've got two that are parodies of Bitcoin. This is the world of crypto, which I think in many ways scares a lot of people from even thinking about investing in it, which you know, I can understand. So I mentioned in the intro that less than 10% of advisors actually offer a crypto solution, but, but I think that's going to change quite a bit in the coming years. 
Let's talk a little bit about how those advisors are going to offer that crypto solution, because I think I don't think they're going to offer direct access to crypto. I think that there's this idea out there that the SEC is going to approve, let's say, a Bitcoin ETF in, in the near future. I'm highly skeptical that that will happen. Uh, so if you don't have direct access or direct exposure to Bitcoin, then you're going to be using derivatives of it, like the Bitcoin futures ETF, things of that nature, and, or the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. These are not pure plays on crypto. To have a true crypto solution, you need to own these coins, either through an ETF, which they offer in other countries like Canada, or you've got to have a solution that gives you direct access through a digital wallet, all the stuff that, that's required to own this stuff. From our world, from the advisory world, the wealth management world, that is not an easy thing to do today. And the reason why advisor, less than 10% of advisors offer solutions is because there just aren't that many out there. But 10% do offer it, so it's possible. Why are, why are the other 90% reticent to do it? I'd say two things. One, we fear what we, what we don't understand, right? So I think there's just a lot of advisors out there, uh, and I'm not knocking them. They just truly don't understand what this stuff is, and it's not easy to get your head around. The other thing is, uh, is compliance. Look at Bitcoin and Ethereum. These are the two largest, most popular coins out there. They both had 90% drawdowns. Yeah, and, and it's regular to see 40 or 60% of the value just disappear. So this is a very volatile asset class, even though the returns justify the volatility in, in many ways, this is something that's scary. And the SEC, uh, the regulatory body that oversees most wealth managers, hasn't really given much guidance in terms of how they view cryptocurrency. So it is a bit of a wild west feel and they, they don't want to risk their practices. So listen, we're, we're in that category of a, a firm that had been reticent to do it, but we've, we've recently shifted our position and we are offering a Bitcoin solution. And, and Tino, that's really your world, right? You've been sort of driving that bus for us. What, what was it that made you a little hesitant to do it before and, and has made you a little more comfortable or you know, allowed you to be comfortable enough to offer it to our clients now? That's a great question. I've, I've been a huge fan of crypto for a decade now, but up until, and I'm talking very recently, it hasn't been an option for our clients. And, and my biggest concern more than anything was uh, the lack of regulation which is ironic because I usually hate regulation, but I think it's important, something like this. And then the second thing is that just the security. I'm, not, I'm less concerned about the compliance component because usually you can get around that uh, as long as you establish good policies and procedures. But the, the biggest problem was the custodian side. You can't go a week without hearing about somebody getting hacked. I mean, look what's, on, look what's been in the news all this week, that hack that happened in 2016, uh, which, by the way, is a hilarious story. I recommend everybody reading up about it. But they, they lost $70 million in Bitcoin in 2016, which is ironically now worth about $4.5 today. You can't put clients' assets into something that, you've, that you don't feel secure about. And there are a very small number of custodians out there today that are regulated and that have the, the level of security that's finally made us comfortable. So I think that was the biggest thing for me is making sure that if we put our clients' money into something, that uh, it would be there no matter what. You really also, you, you have to have the right client too. You have to have a client with a really, really strong stomach for volatility. As we're talking right now, I'm looking at the last year of Bitcoin, which I would consider one of the more stable cryptocurrencies. This time last year, Bitcoin was worth 47,000 a coin. By April, it had hit 60, 
And by June, it was down to 34,000. By November, it's back up to 70,000. And right now it's at about 43,000. So there are not a lot of people out there that can stomach the volatility. And that's one of the more stable coins. Is there anything that compares to that? I mean, when you think about it, what else What else can someone invest in with us that's going to be that volatile, even if they wanted to? And, and that, that, lay, that brings challenges from, let's say, a financial planning perspective, right? Because you've got this thing that, again, is to your point, Remy, it's very volatile. But on the flip side, the returns justify the volatility. I mean, if you there's, a, there's an indicator we use called the Sharpe ratio, which basically you take the return and divide it by the risk, and that gives you a measure of risk-adjusted return. It's doubled the S&P 500 over the last three to five years. So even though it's crazy volatile, it's, it's still an asset class that's, that's done well for people. But from a planning perspective and from a psychological perspective, you know, we're, we're using internal rules here to make sure that we don't put too much in, irrespective of how bullish we are about it. Uh, I agree. That's a ride that most people can't take. You know, so we've always said, don't put, don't invest in crypto unless you're willing to watch it go to zero. And that way you can keep your sanity if, uh, if one of these periods hits you uh, unexpectedly. So crypto has been around for years. You know, like I said, I think I've been invested for, for 10 plus years at this point. But why do you think that advisors are just starting to open their eyes to it now? Why is today or 2022 this year, the year that advisors are saying, okay, you know what, it is time for us to find a solution for our clients. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to speak to that from my perspective. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I'm more in the client-facing advisory role than you guys. And number two, because I'm, I'm of a different generation. And I actually think that most advisors are of my generation. And let's face it, we're all human. I think there's, uh, there's a lot to what Tino said earlier about the comfort level of the advisor, the understanding of it. You know, when, when crypto comes up in a conversation with my peers age-wise, the first thing out of almost everybody's mouth is, I don't understand how that works. I don't understand anything about it. The whole thing seems crazy to me. And I think, you know, when you've got an advisor population that are largely in their middle 50s to probably early 70s, that kind of attitude is prevalent. To your point, Mike, the average RIA or the average financial advisor in this country hasn't updated their technology since 1999, right? And it's not to, again, not ripping on anyone. It's just, it's a subject matter that is, uh, is complicated. You know, I, I think in many ways, to your point, crypto is a young, younger man's game. It reminds me a little bit about like cybersecurity maybe 10 years ago, right when, right when these big companies started getting hacked. And I remember talking with these executives when I was on the institutional side and it was amazing. These people that were CEOs and, and CFOs of large companies, they had no idea what was going on with cybersecurity. They, it, it, was a, it was a foreign concept to them and their entire business was at risk. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were just, you know, to your point of an older generation, they never had to think about some of this stuff before. And it's not easy to get your head around. I think fast forward to today, there is a lot of that. I mean, to, to have a true understanding and grasp of crypto, you look at these firms out there, and there are a bunch of, you know, the ones that are, that are trading it actively, the ones that are, are building things like Coinbase and other, other types of solutions. I mean, most of these people are kids. They're in their 20s and 30s. You know, something happened the other day that, that sort of demonstrates two of the points we're talking about. One is the generational difference in thinking and two, the sort of you know, religious nature of the, you know, the attitudes about this. And I had a meeting with a guy who was, I don't know, probably 43 or 44. And he literally said to me, and I suppose you hate crypto. It was, it was a very aggressive comment. And I think he just looked at my gray beard and, and made the assumption that because I'm, you know, 
I'm 60 plus. I hate crypto. And, and this guy was, you know, he was like ready for a fight. You know, it was really, <laughs> it, it, seriously, it was really weird. And I just, you know, relax, man. You know, uh, well, we could talk about it, <laughs> you know. Well, you got Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, guys like that, that are greatest investors of all time. They slam Bitcoin still to this day. They don't understand it. They says that there's no value. They don't get it. it. There might be a generation component here. Well, I mean, we see it right now on the show. Mike, do you own any crypto? You would be surprised to know that I do. Wow. That's got to be you, though. I would have lost that bet. Yeah, me too. This it's, must be it's, new. It's, uh, it's been a couple of years. It hasn't been very long. Um, but, but yeah, I do, actually. Not a lot. But a little bit, and and you know, and I, I look at it like the way crypto, uh, the way uh, Tino always says you should look at things, right? I I bought it, and I just I don't even look at it. I don't have any idea what it's doing. I I don't I don't want to know. Man, it's like I don't know Mike at all. <laughs> well, you know, th therein lies the success here. You know, we, we are launching a crypto solution for our clients, but what I'll tell you upfront is what we are not doing is actively trading it. You know, we're we're using this as an asset allocation piece. Own it. We'll put some type of logic around the different types of coins that we're going to invest in, and we're going to view it as just a set it and forget it to a certain degree. I think that if, if you think about all these millionaires and billionaires out there right now, how do they get there? Well, I think there's now three ways that they got there. First is that they forgot the password to their wallet. Okay. The second way is, you know, like that guy in the UK that, you know, he had all that crypto. I don't know if you saw the story. He had a bunch of crypto on his hard drive. He threw away his computer. And now he's backed by a hedge fund. He's been going through, a, trying to get into a landfill in his, I guess, the, the, the town he's in to, to literally dig through the trash to find his, his computer. Um, and the third way, as we've learned this week, is that you can get hacked, right? So if you get your Bitcoin stolen from you, a couple of years later, the US government will retrieve it for you and give it back to you. And it's going to be worth a lot more. Uh, trading this stuff, I, f I find to be uh, suicidal because to Remy's point earlier, the volatility is just too extreme. So as it relates to crypto becoming a legitimate investment, what's the bottom line? To me, the bottom line is it's something that you have to take seriously, but, but cautiously. For me, it's the, this idea that opportunity is out there. It requires a different mindset. And if you're willing to stray from the herd, and if you're willing to do it in a way that's not too overly risky to your financial future, there's some very unique opportunities out there. So before we wrap up, Mike, what's your favorite crypto? I'm curious. My, well, to find- Now to that find, you're in the crypto game, I find out you've been in the crypto game for years. I'm curious as to what your favorite crypto is. <laughs> well, you know, I got to back off a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty boring. For me, it's, it's just been Bitcoin and Ethereum. I haven't, you know, jumped into the, the, the doodle coin. No, no doodle coins for you. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy would be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.